Now, I will get to our scripture in just a moment, but I want to mix it up just a little bit today because I want us to identify some of the ideas that we have in our heads before we actually read this passage from 1 John that we will read in a moment. Uh, so to do that, we're going to do a little, uh, you know those, uh, I think I always mispronounce this, but those Rorschach tests, uh, you know, the ink blot test, you're shown an ink blot and you're supposed to say the first thing that comes to your mind, and it's always a butterfly, right? But uh, this is sort of an ink blot test in reverse. I'm going to give you some words. They're going to be familiar words that you might use on a day-to-day basis and are certainly words that you encounter in the Bible. Um, But I want you to think about the image that comes to mind when you hear these words. And the reason we're going with the image is that a lot of times as Christians, when we try to define something, uh, we break into sort of expected Christian lingo, the way we always talk about things. And we don't quite capture where it grabs us as we actually encounter these words in our lives. I think you'll see what I mean as we go. Um, so I'm going to give you some words, and you just I want you to capture the image that comes to mind. If you've got a piece of paper, you should have a blank on the back of your, uh, of your bulletin. If you have a pencil and you want to draw it right quick, that'd be great. Um, if you're not that good of an artist, and that's certainly me, just jot down sort of what it, sort of what it was. All right, so first word, the first word is commandment, commandment. I'll give you just a second to sort of write that down. All right, here's the second word, love, love. Third word is child, child. And the last word is enemy, enemy. See, pins are kind of stopping. When we, when we first hear those words, and they're kind of in two groups, love and commandment and child and enemy. At first blush, they seem to be contradictory, at least. When I think of commandment, the first image that comes to my mind is those sort of stone tablets, right? With, you know, one through five on the one side and six through ten on the other, and the Ten Commandments sort of spelled out right there. And uh, when I think of love, the, the image that comes to my mind at least is uh, the first house that Jessica and I lived in in New Jersey, where sort of was the beginning of our marriage, sort of symbolized the beginning of our relationship and all the friends that we had there, and then how we've how we've grown since then. Incongruous images. When I think of a child, I mean naturally, and those of you who are parents probably think of your own children. That's that's who I thought of. When I think of the word enemy, I think of the first image that comes to mind is like Osama bin Laden, right? And then, perhaps to my embarrassment, the the second image that comes to mind is people who I've had disagreements with. Um, 
Certainly, a, uh, I think for most of us, the image of an enemy doesn't match up with the image of a child. The image of a commandment doesn't match up with the image of love. But what John will tell us, and I want your ears to be open to these words after we've sort of identified where our hearts are coming from, is that love and commandment have everything to do with each other. And then in a way that we'll see as we, as we sort of go, um, child and enemy... Those images for John have very much something to do with one another. So let's hear the word of the Lord it's from 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the parent loves the child. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God conquers the world. And this is the victory that conquers the world, our faith. Who is it that conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When we think about the, this phrase that John uses, the children of of God. When we think about the children of God, uh, most of us, the first place that we will go is to think of simply everyone. Uh, and that's the way that in 21st century America, we usually use this phrase child, phrase, child of God. We use that as a reference to potentially anyone. God made the whole entire world. God is responsible for all human beings. So everyone, in some sense, is a child of God. And the Bible speaks of the children of God uh, in that way in certain places. So that's by no means a, a wrong way to think about it. But here in John, there is a more limited sense. There's a more restricted meaning to this phrase, children of God. John tells us that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ uh, is a child of God. In other words, that the children of God are specifically those who believe in Jesus, and those who believe about Jesus that he is Israel's Messiah. And John will say elsewhere around these chapters, those who believe that uh, Christ has come in the flesh, as God in the flesh, that those are the children of God. So the children of God for John, at least right here, are those who believe in Jesus in that way. Uh, it's very similar to a few chapters ago, uh, we read uh, in 1 John about us becoming children of God. To become a child of God means that at one point we were not and that we are adopted into God's family. That even though we wanted nothing to do with God, that God has, through uh, the gift of his own love, made us his own. For John, to be a child of God isn't just something that everyone automatically has. You become a child of God by the gift of God. And yes, that gift's available for everyone, but it's those who have responded those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, that are God's children for John. So the children of God for John that we should love, he tells us, is this more limited group of people, those who believe in Jesus. How do we love then? How do we love these children that John tells us that we're supposed to love? And when we as Christians talk about who we should love and how we should love, we normally go, the first place most of our minds go, uh, is to the greatest commandment and then the second commandment. And that's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke there. Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. 
So the greatest commandment is to love God. And then the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So for most of us, when we think about love and, and what that should mean for how a Christian acts, it orients us to loving God and then loving our neighbors. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all uh, to love your neighbor is potentially at least to love someone that you might not like very much. Because Jesus will tell us that your neighbor could very well be your enemy, the Samaritan, who will rescue you off of the side of the road when you're about to die, even though uh, your people have nothing to do with one another. So in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and for most of us, and this isn't wrong, this is, this is the right way to think as Christians, when we think about love, we think about loving God and loving God neighbors, loving outsiders, loving those who aren't us. Um, All that's good. All that's good. And we're going to get there in a minute with John. But that's not where John starts. For John, the commandment to love is about loving others who have been called into the community of Christ. John's very specific about this. Very specific about this. Here in this passage that we just read, uh, we are to Everyone who loves the parent loves the child, he says, and the children are those who believe that Jesus is the Christ. The love that we should have as Christians is to be directed to other Christians. This is very plain in John. Uh, If you go back to the Gospel of John, in, in John 15, 12, Jesus tells the disciples, love one another as I have loved you. Love one another. He's not talking about other people. He's not concerned with them yet. He's saying, love your fellow Christians. That's how you first practice responding to what I have done for you. And if you go to the Monday, Monday Thursday, the Holy Thursday story, the Monday Thursday story, if you were at the Monday Thursday uh, service this year, you would have have heard this. Um, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment, a new command I give to you, you shall love one another as I have loved you. The love that Christians should have in John, in the Gospel of John and here in this first letter of John, is about the love that Christians share with each other. Now, some of you, especially those who blessedly have a missionary mindset and know that we should be loving our neighbors, might be getting a little nervous because you're saying, well, surely that's not it, right? We're not just supposed to pat ourselves on the back and just take care of each other and ignore everybody else. And I don't think we are. Because ultimately, John will say that the love of Christ uh, or the love of the Father has been shown by Christ um, giving himself up for the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. So, John isn't just going to leave us with the Christian community, but at least in his focus, what he's first concerned about is how we treat one another. How we treat one another. You know, the way that we uh, often work as human beings, and this includes, uh, uh, includes us Christians, is that we like to define uh, who we are versus who other people are, right? And us versus them. And pretty soon what happens, this is from a philosopher named Martin Buber, uh, but, but when you define us versus them, pretty soon the them, you don't treat like human beings anymore. You treat them like an object, it becomes us versus it. And you no longer treat other people like they're uh, human beings created in the image of God. You treat them like they're just stuff. 
And very often this comes into play when we have an argument with someone. When you have a disagreement, and you've probably experienced this in your family life or at work or you kids when you're at school, you've probably experienced this. When you have a disagreement, what do we do? We find people who agree with us, all right? And we set up shop together and we kind of build a fence and it becomes us versus them. And the conflict grows. And does that ever work to resolve anything? Almost never. Almost never does that work. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We, in our love for one another, start to define enemies across the border from us. Okay? And, and our love for each other becomes a kind of corrupted, limited love. That's not what John's after. It's not what John's after at all. Because what has happened in this community that he's writing to is that they have recently had a split. They've had a conflict. They've had a disagreement. There are, uh, earlier in John's Gospel, we, we, we've touched on this before, but earlier, or excuse me, earlier in this letter, John talks about antichrists who have gone out amongst the people and false prophets and those who don't have the Spirit of God. And he says that uh, those folks... Um, have or basically he tells, says that those folks have denied that Jesus is the Christ. And so they have gone away and this community has split off. They've gone through this conflict. Now, what the risk would be for this uh, this small you know group of Christians is that they would start to, after a fight like this, and you might have experienced something like this yourself, start to define the circle in ever smaller terms. After you've been through a fight, uh, sometimes you want to make sure that everybody's on the same side as you. And so you say, well, you've got to agree on this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And you get it's more limited and more limited and more limited. And pretty soon, the only person who has it all right is yourself, right? And that's what could have happened. This church, after having gone through a conflict, they could have started to look for new enemies in their own midst. Now, John isn't saying that it's not important that we, uh, that we defend Christian truth. He's all about letting them know that it's, it's absolutely important that they affirm that Jesus is the Christ. But what they could have done is started to draw the line here, and then here, and then here, and then here, and then here. And so John, against the human tendency that no doubt these folks would have been going through to try to identify new enemies, says, don't see each other as potential enemies. See each other as the children of God. See each other as the children of God. How is that possible? So what we as human beings want to do is uh, win the victory for ourselves. We want to mount a superior argument. We want to collect more people on our side. We want money and power to influence people to agree with us so that we can win the victory on our own terms. But John says, look, Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already defeated sin and death. You don't need to win the victory yourself. What you need to do is believe in the one who has won the victory. And when you believe in the one who has won the victory, you no longer have to think that you are in control of the world or that you can be victorious on your own. In the passage that, um, if y'all had been following along with, if I were here last week, I would have told you about... Uh, uh, and, and perhaps, uh, and perhaps Cully did uh, tell you about um, one John four, in which John says that perfect love casts out fear. 
So often, we as human beings, us Christians too, we run our lives based on fear. Fear of encountering someone who doesn't, who's not like us. Fear of uh, being found out to not be as uh, good and perfect as we say we are. Fear of... Um, uh, fear of losing power and influence, fear of a broken relationship and hurt feelings. We, we run our lives off of fear. And we ultimately fear that we won't win the things that we want to win. We won't get the things that we want to get. But John says perfect love casts out fear. Why? Because Jesus, he tells us, has already won the victory. And so you have nothing to fear. You don't have to uh, police your boundaries and find out who the enemy is and defend yourself in this way. Instead, what you should do is manifest the truth that you have received, that Jesus is the Christ, and that Christ has, uh, has given himself to us in, in water and blood, he will go on to say, so that we can have new life. And the way you show that to be true is, first of all, by loving one another as the children of God. And then ultimately, the goal is for that love to be shared, not only amongst ourselves, but with the world, with those who are outside. We've been striving to do that these last several days uh, with our 40 days of prayer, to open up our, our eyes and our hearts uh, to places that we might not already be thinking about and praying about. So I hope that you continue to do that this week. And of course, that's not just a 40-day kind of project. That's for something for us to live out, live out every single day of our lives as Christians with the confidence that we are God's children, with the confidence that we don't have to win victory for ourselves, that it's been won on our behalf, and that we can participate in that. <clears throat> we can participate in that by our trust in Christ, the one who has already conquered the world, John says. Let's pray. Lord, you have defeated sin and death, and you've defeated our fear. We pray today that uh, we would love one another as you have called us to love each other. We pray today that we would love one another as you have loved us. Lord, we pray today that we would live in the way, live as the people um, that you've called us uh, to live as. Lord, in your Son's great and glorious name we all pray. Amen.